0: This is Sustaining Purpose with Ken Hale, and I'm your host, Ken. Welcome to the podcast where we have great guests with great stories, fascinating stories. Today, you're going to be listening to Bo gonye talk about his life of crime, drug addiction, and violence, and how he, Christ got a hold of his life and the differences made. Now he is a union contract supervisor working on the high, most, uh, largest uh, construction projects in the state of Washington, And he's got a story to tell. You stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. Hey, everybody. This is Sustaining Purpose with Ken Hale. And I have on my podcast today, Beau Gagne. Hello. Yeah, there he is. Beau Gagne. This is going to be a fun... They've all been fun for me. But, Beau, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah. Because I'm looking at... You know, this is audio. There's no video. If people were to see you, They would see a 46-year-old man, clean cut, in shape. And and you can't see him, but I'm telling you, the guy's in shape. Now, you are a concrete. Tell us, just you do something. You work for concrete, but this is a little different. What Maybe people might think of like a concrete sidewalk. You're doing something totally different.
1: Yeah, I'm in the union in the local 242, and I'm a concrete supervisor. I wasn't always a concrete supervisor. I had to start from the bottom and work my way up but we do uh big commercial projects amazon 40 story amazon towers um sound transit um uh, yeah. just uh big stuff facebook big jobs yeah 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 i'm gonna move my
0: chair around just a little bit here so i'm making noise on the uh on the uh mic here people just bear with it there
1: yeah so i'm in charge of uh uh-huh. um, I had 21 laborers on my site for a while. Now we're down to nine kind of wrapping up this project. But, right. yeah, I've been in the union for a long time. And, uh, and so when we say the project, of course, we're sitting in yeah, – you're talking about uh,
0: corporations that people are going to recognize, but what city are you are talking about here?
1: We're in Seattle, okay. Washington, Seattle right Washington, just yeah. north of downtown right now on a um, 12-story building. Okay. All right. That's so nice you're in you're
0: the union – in a concrete union and you're working to construct big time con- uh, commercial concrete jobs. Yep. Yeah. Were you involved at all with the big concrete
1: the Amazon building up north here? Uh, not in, in Marysville, I wasn't, but I was tempted footprint to print on that yeah. thing is huge. I was tempted to go there, but same thing, I did three of those down. Yeah. Well, finished two of them, but started on one that was almost done. Yeah, so downtown. So they
0: say the Boeing, the Boeing plant in Everett is one of the largest Build, you, continuous building. Yeah, It might be in the, even in the, in the U.S. Yeah,
1: I think it is in the but U.S. But we look at
0: these Amazon buildings. They're not as big as the Boeing one. Not at all, but they're huge.
1: They're huge, yeah. they're, and they're, they're up huge. there. They're, you know, 40 stories, 43 yeah. stories. Yeah,
0: man. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, really, uh, we were talking, and um, you really have, have a story. Uh, people are not going to maybe appreciate... You work with a lot of addicts, people uh, in narcotics. You work with An- narcotics, narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. You've been doing that for how long? For 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And you, uh, you brought even some of your material with you just so you could show me and we can look at it eventually here. And you, are, you really are committed to helping these guys. Well, guys, I'm saying guys, I mean, it's men and women that are want to get off of this stuff and to sponsor them and to teach them, to coach them, to be with them, to encourage them. And you've been doing that about 15 years.
1: Yeah. About probably 14, because that took, I had to be sponsored, sponsored and mentored myself first. Right. And then you get to a certain point in your recovery where your sponsor says, okay, you've done the work and and you've found out who you are, your identity and, and kind of let go of the things that are hindering you from being of service to others. And then, So um, I still have a sponsor to this day, Uh Um, and I still have to get mentored myself. You know, I just I have somebody that I call all the time when I need to hear kind of, for me, what I call from God. You know, like I treat my sponsors kind of like a a voice right now if I I can't. Because sometimes with us, we can't, uh, you know, we're so in our head. Uh Sometimes we can't really find the right answer because we're caught up in fear or other things that are you know, yeah. confusing us so, or clouding the, the thinking. So, you know, I yeah. So um, once I was released to, to sponsor guys, I didn't think I was going to. I didn't want to. I was, like, scared. Like, what do I have to really offer? Right. But then, uh, you know, I have a lot to offer. Maybe. I found out that, yeah. you know, I have a story. And these men and women that are out there suffering an addiction and and sitting in prison and and everybody has a story too. And most of it is wrapped up around addiction. It's most of us got to where we're at from being addicted to drugs. And and so... Well, that's
0: interesting. You brought up something there because uh, you brought up prison. And uh, uh, part of my bio on the podcast is I worked 20 years in the Department of Corrections. Yeah, and wow. I have listened to stories of some of these guys would say if it, if they had not come to prison, they would not have stopped the crazy life they were living. They had yeah. they had to be caught, arrested, yeah. stand trial, and face
1: the reality of their their the consequences of their behavior and their choices, and probably felt safe. I would I mean like yeah. for me for my story I mean I. Um, <clears throat> Once I like prison was a what I would call what some people call a come up, you know, like yeah. that was a come up for me. I was like, I've, I've had the opportunity to go back and thank police officers that just wouldn't give up on arresting me, you know, and catching oh. me because we've well, got to slow down there, because
0: yeah. maybe there's some police guys, police, policemen, officers, police yeah. officers watching, um, police officers watching or listening. And that's interesting because
1: I've heard some others gone back and actually thank them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have gotten, but I mean, I needed to stop. Um, I wanted to stop using drugs for so for probably eight years before I was ever able to be stopped. And, and, mm-hmm. and it was like, and that's the story and stuff. Like, I mean, I, I could, go back and tell you more about my childhood and kind of how I got there. Or I could tell you more about that. Like, uh, I didn't know how to stop using drugs. I right. wanted to stop, but it, it, without the, with the same neighborhood and the same people and the, you only know what you know until you learn something right. different. It's really crazy that you actually really only know what you know until you can learn yeah. something different. So, um, you know, I got stopped and, 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 uh, you know, I feel like, I was uh, by the grace of God, yeah. because uh, yeah. I, when I did get, when I finally got co- stopped, I had um, by the time they were done catching up with me, I had um, twenty-two felonies. You know. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so let's just kind of jump in there. You uh, talked about the prison. How long you how, long, how much time in prison did you do? Three, just three years. Three years in prison. You've been out well, for two, fifteen.
1: I it's more like two and a half years. Yeah. But it felt like three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And hey, it, two years is enough to know internally to find out pretty quick what the culture is like. Yeah. And uh, you, you experienced I know we both know a fellow who's also been recorded for the podcast, Stephen. Yeah. And uh, he, 17 years. No 27, no, 27 years. 27 years on a 30-year sentence, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's right. And, uh, and he did a lot of that time. Uh, not to go back into all that, but he did a lot of that time in and sol- what what, what sol- solitary confinement—that's not yeah. what we call it anymore. We the whole. Yeah. yeah, the whole. and <laughs> ad- intensive management unit. And yeah. when people who listen to well eventually listen to his testimony, but people who work in prison know intensive management unit. People go there because they are a management or behavior problem in prison, but.
1: Yeah, he had yeah. to go to prison in prison. That's yeah, what I that's call a, it, it. I call it, it prison in prison. prison. That's yeah. a good
0: way of saying it. It is a prison inside the prison. Yeah. but that's a great way of saying it, that's exactly what it is. Take us back into your childhood there because
1: uh, uh, you had mentioned that. Yeah, let's just start there. Well, that's the thing I was talking about about people have different, I mean, a lot of people come from these different walks of life and we we never know like where somebody comes from. And for me, like I grew up in Ballard. I grew up on a street um, that is kind of a little bit famous to a lot of people. It's, we call it Fifth Street because it's Fifth Avenue. But um, on my block um, that I grew up on, it's it's you wouldn't even think of Ballard being like this. People go into Ballard. They think it's great. The locks is there. The beach is there. Blah, blah, blah. Um, this block, for generations after generation after generation, had several drug drug houses on that block and my mom was an addict. My mom was an alcoholic. Um, she, um, we had different eras. I mean, my mom, date uh, one of my stepdads was a biker. Um, I don't know if it's okay to say which club he was in. It doesn't eh, really doesn't matter. Really matter it doesn't really matter, yeah. yeah. But,
0: but you did say something there to go, kind of go back into that, kind of create the uh, the atmosphere. One of my stepdads.
1: Yeah, that's funny yeah. you say that, because that was like one of my stepdads, you know. Um, I was abandoned by my father at uh in the womb, you know. My my, I have a brother and sister from that same dad. And um so I started off my life like he accepted my brother and sister, but didn't accept me Mm -hmm. because him and my mom were divorced. He had a new girlfriend when he got my mom pregnant Mm -hmm. with me. So um let's
0: just move your list with this little bit right there. Yeah, so
1: just a divorced woman with three kids just it's hard to f- and then especially if you're finding men in the wrong places you know she was an alcoholic like I said and and just tended to find men in, in bad places you know and so I had several different stepdads in my life you know yeah one that kind of stuck around a lot and came back and forth and taught me how to how to you know some real real solid things I needed to learn as a, you know right. some work sure. ethic and some being able to work on cars and things like that. So I'm really grateful that he, he didn't do it in a super nice way, but that's all right.
0: About how old but then?
1: Oh, uh, he was in my life since I was two years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and he, and, and so even though my mom had several different other boyfriends throughout the time, you know, that guy had a, is a, the father of my little brother. So he would come back around and, 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 you know, kind of, yeah. you know, took okay. me under his wing a little bit, taught me some stuff. He was tough and he was a, a, you know,
0: was he a former former inmate himself? Did oh he yeah,
1: played? he was a, well, yeah, he was a, a biker from a pretty notorious motorcycle club, and yeah. and he was a dangerous dude, and he did not live. I mean, like, they they partied, you yeah. know, they did drugs, yeah. and so with them doing drugs on the block, the other people down the street doing drugs. I came up when cocaine was a big thing, when it, when it just started out, and it was a little bit glamorous, I guess, in some ways, yeah. people would show up in limousines and things and, oh, yeah. um, you know, like yeah. from the club and stuff, uh-huh. you know, I don't know where these people came from cause our house, our block definitely didn't have money there. Right. But, right. but like, uh, they, uh, uh, just, it was, you know, all these different houses and all of us kids in these houses with parents that were drug addicts and the criminals that came in and out that we kind of called uncle and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, wow. And just in those days, it was just armed, you know, guys that were, you know, big on armed robberies. How, and how do
0: you, what kind of, um, I mean, I've, what kind of emotion, what kind of feeling internally, what were you just kind of experiencing? Was there a lot of, just personally, you just afraid? Were you more just kind of running with it?
1: Well, it was a little scary sometimes because with, you know, with people that are in that condition, you know kids don't really know what they're on or, or it's psychologically damaging. You know what I mean? And you are a little bit scared. I mean, growing up with my mom, you never knew if you were going to be, if you were going to have a home or not in a minute. And there definitely wasn't enough, you know, as far as food and and things are concerned, you know, we were pretty poor and got everything from food banks and things like that. Um, Which is like, I'm not a victim in all that stuff. There's people out there that grew up, Way worse than me, but, you know, but, but like, uh, you know, getting the food bank, cutting into the block of food bank cheese before your mom can sell it and that kind of stuff because she would sell it, you know, I mean, for, for five or 10 bucks. That'd be her drug money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so like everybody on that block can, you know, everybody that I still, and some of them are clean today, but all of us kids grew up to be drug addicts. Not one of them was missed. Yeah, because you had mentioned,
0: of course, when I mean, you got arrested, you were you were thankful that you got arrested because you wanted to get off drugs. Yeah. And here you are growing up in that entire environment. It was a high-crime culture, high-drug culture. Was there a lot of violence on, on the streets that you saw?
1: Oh, well, as a child, I mean, I wake up in the morning. I'm not kidding. I mean, I wake up in the morning and have blood. All, there would be blood all over the front porch and, uh, like— a guy getting stabbed in my backyard, you know, I can't say, who, you know, who did it right. on the podcast, but like, uh, oh, guy, Okay, Got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, people like that kind of violence fights and and fist fights. And I mean, wh- yeah. fights were one thing I'm talking about the brutal stuff, you know, kind of waking up as a kid and seeing blood all over the porch and the mailbox was used as a weapon and things like that. You're like, what happened last night you know it's yeah. scary for a kid yeah. to be in that situation Man. but and then we just ended up in so you just kind of grew up with it yeah
0: i mean it was i mean a lot of us would not not have any idea what it's like to be in that environment but that was just your, kind of your normal it was our normal
1: and like um and unfortunately like growing up as a, a, a child in that environment not being uh having, uh, supervision, you know? I mean, I really, sometimes I, 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 when I'm working with a guy and he doesn't have some really shameful or stuff that happened to him when he was a kid, um, I'm really blown away. But then I realized, wait a minute, he had a dad and a mom always there in his life watching over him. So I, Uh so he, they didn't get a hold of him, you know? So when we were kids, I mean, we could disappear at 11 o'clock at night at eight years old and it wouldn't be talked about, thought about nothing. We could just leave the house, Right, right. And go walking down the streets of Ballard, you know, yeah. when we were kids. So it was
0: it was kind of a chaotic, uh, no, no directional. Uh... N- nobody was
1: looking for us. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was looking for us. We weren't going to get in trouble. Yeah, you know, for being gone. I mean, that's how it was growing up. And unfortunately, in that for me, just in my story, you know, I, I suffered. Get, you know, getting in a, a, like I've had some some uh, abuse and things like that happen right. when I was a kid that I really. Stuck with me for a long time. My own little secret that, right, like somehow, you know, I didn't think about all the time, but every once in a while I would think about it, but never talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you'd mentioned that uh, earlier. We, we were just getting
0: acquainted, and you'd mentioned when you do a lot of work with uh, uh, the addicts, people who are wanting to get off their drugs, you, you bring them to a point, you, you try to bring them to a point that to talk about, uh, you use the word shame. And uh, or that inner secret, I think that's how you what's that secret that if it, you don't talk about it, it just It's the
1: thing you. that you just sweared you would never that you were going to take to your grave that you never share with anybody else. You know, it's those things, right. those things that you think are so, um, you know, um, trying to look for the word for it. Um, you you're the only one that has this right. problem you know what i mean like they're 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 so unique is the word i'm looking for like you have these secrets and they're so unique right. and you're the only one and uh yeah working with the addicts that's one of the like one of the things we do we work yeah. through the steps and and i feel like those things kind of hold you captive in a way yeah that when let go when set free you become free right you become free. They're no longer uh, uh, empowered. Uh, they're no lo- They no longer have power over right. you. Can you know what well, I mean? Well, I I think I'm going to tell you this this,
0: this um event, this story. I, when I was much younger, and I'm I'm 66, you know, but back when I was like in my uh, my early 20s, I was attending this meeting. We called it a men's meeting, and we had it had it in a barn. There's probably maybe 20 or 30 guys, and it was a mix of guys. And I remember talking to a pastor who was leading it, and it was uh, it kind of like a, a wholeness come, you know, being honest and being taught and, you know, things like being taught in the Word of God, but being really honest about ourselves. And I remember uh, as I uh, talking with him privately, told him some events of my life. And uh, and they're totally cleansed, you know. I mean, it's about sexual exploitation, things like yeah. that. And he said, well, Ken, that'd be a great thing just to bring up in the men. Just bring, yeah. it, up at, bring it up in the men's meeting, just, just to get it out of you, you know. It's... And that, that was always that inner shame thing. That if somebody knew about me, oh, that I'd would, be that, that'd be, out. It. Yeah, I'd be if found, found out. Yeah, I'd be found out. Everybody would hate. Me. It yeah, everybody me. would think. Of. So I'm sitting in the meeting now. Can okay, this a couple weeks later? I'm in the meeting, and um, he says, "Anyone else have something to say? Anyone wants to talk?" The guys were sharing. Now in this meeting, we had guys like myself and other guys, and who were, were we didn't live the didn't, we, we, the life you're describing. We would not. That was not our experience. But we had guys who were just getting out of jail. We've had guys who'd done prison time. We had guys who come up on their bikes, their, their motorcycle bikes, okay? And, and so it was a real mix of people. And I'm sitting there, and, of course, he said, anyone else has? And I put my hand up, and I look up, and I see my hand up in the oh. air, and I think, whose hand is that? And I realize, that's my hand. And I pulled it down, and he says, Ken, too late. Too late. He saw me. He was looking for me. And I, it took me several minutes just to get it all out of me. All right, now this is this is something I think you'll find humorous. Um I'm thinking this is the deepest, darkest thing about myself, right? The shame thing. Yeah. All right. These, everyone's stand- and I'm looking around at everybody, and he says, "Can't just look at everybody. Just look up. You know, lift your face up." I look at everybody, and everyone just kind of sit- and I'm watching these guys. They're just kind of sitting there, less nonchalant, looking at me. Some guys just kind of looking around, like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? That's it. What's what's the big deal?" And I thought, "That's it. I mean, that's all there was. That's all it is." And I remember looking down. I can I can connect with what you're saying because I remember in my spirit, man, I looked down and I saw that that thing that used to be in there
1: was gone. Gone. And more room for God to come in now. Yeah, you got it.
0: Oh, and what I thought would be, and I can imagine honestly, I, yeah, I can imagine there's some things, very deep wounds and fears, and, and I'm not minimizing yours or anyone else's. You have to process. But I do know what you're saying is when we can begin to talk about it and expose yeah. it to people, safe people, you're not saying, hey, just go out and tell any old buddy out there. I'm talking about somebody who, yeah. who can handle it. Yeah. And you find out, man, it's, it's not the monster that we thought it was.
1: Yeah. And then it's gone. And then it's, you're free. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, that th- those, uh, it's, it's, it is a, uh, beautiful thing that happens um I, I feel like the devil wants to remind us of those things that keep us feeling like we're unworthy or like right. that or, or you know what i mean and it holds us down like that and when we just take the power away from them it's it's, it's a beautiful thing and that's and like i like what you said about finding out that you weren't unique there was every everybody yeah. So when you come to, so then when all of a sudden other people can identify with your problems, it's a it's a problem shared, and, and you know what I mean, and, and yeah. a problem relieved. It's like we go through
0: first we think we're unique, then we deal with that, then we find out we begin to think, well, I'm not unique, and we have to process that and come to another point that's in my own identity in Christ, I am unique. Yeah, but we have to let that happen to us in our healing we have to kind of let it be discovered who we really are in our identity that's kind of we i know you you move that direction but i want to kind of take us back again to that that neighborhood your experience there uh you're growing up you're a
1: teenager now uh what's going on now oh yeah well i mean that's after the foster homes and the things and my mom (laughs) going to western state to the insane asylum you know what i mean in that Stuff and I and I want to say that my mother was a very loving, loving woman who had a strong faith in God. But just when you're using, you can't, you know. What I mean, it, yeah. it's uh, that
0: that's something too imagine. I wanted to bring when I was talking with you. A lot of people and when who've never been around this type of uh, environment may not really. And I'm I'm thinking about okay. I, I was got. I became a Christian when I was nineteen. And yeah, I had my up and down roller coaster until I really became. I like the way one of the brothers said, a believing believer. Yeah, <laughs> and I just amen. Said, I'm yeah. a believing believer. Okay, it took me a few years to become the believing believer. Yet, I think sometimes in the church crowd, in the, in the, we, we kind of forget the power and the mercy of God, that He would see people in their addictions, in their traumas. And he accepts their confession of faith, yeah. even while they're struggling to be free.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. That's part thing. of my story too. I want to yeah. tell you about that later on a little bit more. Yeah, let's, let's just
0: let's just go for it. But your your mother, you, I think we're starting to see the picture here in in the mental hospital. He said Western, uh, but she had a faith in God, but she had trouble. She had, had her struggles. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then you're in the teenage years of foster care. Go ahead. Yeah, in the teenage up. years, I just, uh, you know my mom had to get me out of the house. She had, she, uh, unfortunately she was that stepdad thing, you know, she had a new baby with the stepdad and, and like, I was like, I think I was 14 when she said, Hey, I'm going to give you your hundred dollars of the welfare check every month. And you got to go, you know, because she had to keep the house. That wasn't hers with the stepdad. And I was a problem. I was getting in the way of her being able to do that. Me and him, he had got abusive. We got, he hit me a few good times. And, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I wasn't no match for, to be able to right. stand up to him. And my mom didn't want any more of that either. You know what I mean? And, and you was, were what, how old were you about then? I was 14, 14. 14 yeah, yeah. When I moved out and, and, and moved to uh, Kirkland and rented a room for that hundred dollars. It was that hundred dollars got me a room uh, in Kirkland. And I kind of just, I was on my own. That's a whole nother part yeah. of just discovering more drugs to do and just, you know, yeah, uh, meeting new people with m- new new drugs. Really, yeah. As a teenager, you know. Now you, you mentioned
0: something. I don't know how much you want to go into all that, but uh, eventually arrested, did almost three years or uh, yeah, almost two years, Yeah, you know, yeah two point? and a half years, yeah. yeah, two and a half years. And uh, the traumas being hunted. I mean, you you made some enemies. You made enemies on the street. Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, that's part of my testimony. I mean, I made some enemies. I didn't really just one particular good enemy. I mean, I, I did pretty well in my neighborhood. You as okay, far talk, as I, you just
0: want to talk about that? Kind of, yeah, it, like it,
1: it, I'm, it, yeah. that is my. I mean, if you're ready for that, that's I mean, I, like, uh, like uh, you know, I did. Uh, managed to get to work back then. And I'm going to move into this real quick here about this is like, I was always a working guy, but as the disease of addiction is progressive, you know, and fail, it will progress. And so even though I was working, I just want to say that, so you can get a picture of me as a young as adult, uh, as a young adult, a lot of people just knew me as somebody that paid his debts and worked a job. And so I was kind of normal in the way of like people trusted me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, uh, but just that that disease progressed, you know, I'm um, using more and more drugs. And I just uh, took some some uh, dope from a lady and uh, she had a bunch of guys over there when I did it. And there was that pride thing and stuff where they didn't do anything at the time. And and uh, I made a lot of enemies right there in that one moment. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. That was a Christian, and she was just following the wrong guy. You know what I mean? She was following you, the wrong guy. She was following me, Uh, the wrong guy, right? And, uh, you know, these, yeah, everywhere, everybody in the neighborhood was calling me saying, you know, these people are looking for you. They got guns. They're going to, you know, and uh, at one point in time, they actually did pull up at a house I was at and they, they pointed a gun at me. I didn't realize at first that it was a gun. Or I wouldn't have ran at him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, but they had a gun under a shirt, and uh, and they didn't do anything. But um, <clears throat> so I mean, yeah, I had a whole bunch of people wanting to get me. I wasn't, was it, was that scared? I mean, were, I, I wasn't were, super scared. Well, you weren't super scared because I was not my right, I wasn't in my right mind. I was okay. on meth and all kinds of drugs, oh, yeah. and kind of just wasn't in my right mind, yeah. you know. And yeah. that girl that I was with, she she told me, you know. I'm I'm scared if you died because she really she was a witness yeah. to everything yeah. that was happening. It was like yeah. everybody just come up on that mic there again. Everybody was calling me, uh-huh. telling me that these people just left. I mean, my daughter's mom was calling me saying she was scared for my life because right. you know everybody's looking for me. In so you were kind of really di- uh, I mean disconnected from the reality of <laughs> you just you know you
0: were not in your right mind really.
1: Oh, I wasn't really in my right mind, even though I th- think back and I, I think I was. I just. Once you lose and lose and lose, you don't really care. I don't think I cared about my life as much as other people yeah. did, you know. I just asked you a question because do you think that
0: a lot of the violence that we hear in the, in the you know, people in drugs, like get a lot of violence, they get shot, they get stabbed, they get killed. You think they maybe underestimate, there's a point where they don't really even ap- comprehend the real reality, reality, of, reality of what's yeah. going on around them. I
1: do. I think that they're so used to the pain and misery and violence and things that comes with addiction that it, it's just another thing that happened to yeah. me. They just think of it as another thing that happened to me, right? They live through it, so they live for another day, you know, yeah. to wow. to use again, really, because we don't know what else to do. <clears throat> but to go back to, you know, this is what really, really, this is my testimony. Sure, I mean, is that that girl, Heather, um, uh, that I was with, She really loved me. I knew she loved me, and I really believed in her faith, even though I didn't really believe in—I didn't—I wasn't a Christian at the time, even though I believed in God. Ken, you know, I mean, I wasn't a Christian, but she told me uh, in this motel room, she said, "I'm scared. If you die today, you're gonna go to hell." You know, and at that moment, I like this is somebody I know really loves me, so I know she's telling me this, and she loves me. I know she doesn't hate me, right? She cared about you. And then I thought if anybody deserved to go to hell, I thought I was that guy. So I was like, ah, you know, I believe in God. I believe in God, you know? And she was like, yeah, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You need the son. You need to have, like, you need to humble yourself. I mean, she was yelling at me at this point, Ken. She was, because I had my ego and my pride and my arrogance of. She was trying to get through, but. Yeah. She was like, you need to humble yourself and, and pray and, and ask God to forgive you for your sins. And, and, uh, and, and I wanted to like, I, well, I didn't know how to pray like that. You know, right. I was like, I want to, you know, I was really aggro and like scared and just, you know, I was like, I wanted to ask him. I just don't know how to say it, you know? Yeah. And so uh, this is kind of a miraculous thing that happened as Heather started praying And she asked God to give me the words in my mouth, to give me the words in my mouth that I would be able to speak to him Mm -hmm. and to be able to ask Jesus into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And it was like at that point, Ken, I was like it all just I was like I just put my hands up and just said, God, look at me. Look at me. You've known me my whole life. You see that I'm a sinner. God, you know I'm a sinner. And I said, I believe in Jesus I, I believe that you sent him to save me. God, I just ask that you forgive me for my sins. And and I asked Jesus to come into my heart right now. I don't even know how I said it. Nobody <laughs> led me in the words. It was there. It was like just and, and, repentance, you know? Powerful. Yeah. And how old were we? What? what What, uh, 18, 19? What? No, I was, uh, about 25. Okay. 25. I think I was 25. Yeah. 20, 25. Yep. 25 or so. And, uh, and, and that was my first time that I felt the Holy Spirit. I mean, and I don't know if that, I, I think that if I was the man living the way I am today with the amount of, of darkness that I, I mean, I live a fairly righteous lifestyle today. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It, it might not have been so evident, but uh, you know, but in uh, John, the book of John says that he was the light of the world and the darkness could not overcome it uh, uh, or could not overcome him, you know. Sure. And, and the fact is, is, I was in such darkness at the time. I was in such the evilest man I've ever been in my life, as far as like even mm. sexual immorality and just uh, violence and anger and uh, you know ego right. and envy and I had everything. If you could have anything that was bad, I was all of it. You know. So when I at when I repented, I really felt the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know at that time that the Holy Spirit came into your body. To, you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, and and but it did. Right. And and, and, and it just. <laughs> Put me to sleep and I woke up and and Heather had said, I love you, but I'm not gonna watch you uh uh-huh. die. Yeah. And so she left me a note on the table that said, I love you. I'm going to treatment, and she left me. Okay. There's more to that story, but go ahead and yeah. Well, there's i, I have just know, no, I'm tra-
0: letting you letting you tell your
1: story. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I mean it's like, can everything I tried to do that day, like I tried to go on and keep doing what I was doing. Like I um, nothing would work. I couldn't steal right. I couldn't. I. I, I mean, because I was a full on thief. You said that time. that the people that were looking
0: for you found her. Maybe you don't want to talk about
1: that. Oh right? no, the people that that were looking for me, the that very woman and the guy and her guy friends and stuff. You know, I mean, they ended up all getting. Uh, they ended up killing a girl a couple of weeks later. And, uh, that's in my four step, my moral inventory, my guilt and shame, mm-hmm. because I felt like that maybe I really created that environment that that girl probably stepped into of that. Not, the, not the Heather, not Heather. No. Heather did not. Yeah. Heather is still doing just, good to this just day.
0: Another, another girl that was a, victim a of girl their- that
1: a girl that stole from them. They, um, um, they killed her in, in in that same house that I stole their drugs in. India. So I want that's I just I just want I, I can't put, you know stop the conversation for a minute.
0: Anyone's listening, has got to get their grasp of the reality that when people are in in their addictions, they're in a, a high crime lifestyle, a lot of drug uh, drug uh, um, and abuse. I mean, just the culture, things are happening, and they not even aware of the danger of the darkness that they're in and yet that girl's murdered in that
1: environment she was murdered in that and that's environment, what environment you're steal, living in for stealing a food stamp card you know a, a, a food stamp card that you get from the government Yeah. that's what they were accusing her of stealing and they tied her up and forced a bunch of drugs down her throat and OD'd her and they killed her and they were indicted for murder and uh, and, and it was crazy like God, it's what you said. I just, if that's question is in one of the, is in this uh, recovery book I brought right. over. Yeah. was like, have you ever been in danger and been indifferent of that danger? <clears throat> that's one of the questions. And the fact is, is we do. Yeah, we're around a bunch of criminals with guns and we're all on drugs. Yeah. That's danger. Yeah. Yet. Big time danger. Yet we're indifferent to it. This is normal to us. Yeah. This guy, you know, and so... Just go um, ahead and move that back, back up on the microphone there. Yeah, so there. so what had happened is nothing would work out for me. You know, from, like, I ended up just, and I, and I was, this is before they actually killed that girl. I was going to drive my van into that house. That was my plan that day. Um, <clears throat> it was three days later, two or three days later, after I came to Christ, I was going to drive my van into that house and just, who knows what, you know? Yeah. But I was going to, I was on we my dri- way. Drive the van into the I house. I was going to drive my van into the house that I knew all those people were at. And this officer, um, I think her name might be Debbie. And I really want to find her too and thank her. The police officer. Because yeah. she had pulled me over years earlier and seen my daughter. Now, I, I haven't even got, told you about the part where my daughter was taken from CPS, she was in, that that officer had just days earlier uh, raided my daughter's mom's house and took my daughter to CPS, and she had pulled me over years earlier, and, and, uh, you know, so she knew me, she knew my van, she knew everything, but she looked me up when she seen my van and seen that I had warrants. And so when she pulled me over, who knows what would have happened because I was just a mess, Ken. I was at my wit's end. I was done. I wanted to die. You know, I had lost my daughter to CPS. I mean, I didn't have – that was the only thing I was really trying to live for, you know, to do something different. That was my hope, you know, that I would change for my kid or something. And when that officer pulled me over, she had the wisdom to talk to me on the the PA off her car and tell me, Bo – pull over I'm not mm-hmm. gonna take your vehicle I'm not gonna you know tow it but I need you to pull over and come with me the way that she did it yeah I started crying because I wanted to be done anyway yeah I, I, just, uh, I just want to uh,
0: say and I don't want to do this in a, in a kind of a a shout out to the police officers. I think so, absolutely. Because, man, this this places around the country here in cities and organizations that are just trying to dismantle law enforcement, and they're doing it by demeaning the dedicated officers.
1: Dedicated officers, and I love that you said that, Ken. And they're doing that.
0: their job, and then there's some that are in in doing their job, genuinely want to care that they their intervention makes a difference.
1: Yeah, that that that. that I want to thank her, Ken. If I can find her, I got to try to find her and see if she's still actually a, 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 a in duty, yeah. you know. But uh, she had the wisdom to do that, to not care enough about what's in the van. You know, I had enough stuff in the van that would have gave me ten years in prison if she just would have searched it. Mm-hmm. But she stood by her word. She said, "If you pull over, I will let you lock your vehicle and I'll leave it where it's parked, and take you to jail. But you got to go to jail with me." And 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 I pulled over. And she stood by her word, and she took me to jail. She could have did the whole thing where she chases me down, brings all the cops, they all wreck me in the car, maybe they end up shooting me or whatever, but she didn't. Yeah. Mm. She, she took me to jail, and on the way there, she told me, uh, I was there when we took your daughter. I, I know these stories seem crazy. No. This is the truth. Oh, I believe you. She told me I was there when we took your daughter from from Sarah, your baby's mom. You know, We
0: took she her did. to CPS. So I, the people listening to this have got to know the how chaotic life is, how out of touch with reality you were and so many other people are the drugs, the violence, the, the pride, the arrogance, the darkness that just takes over them.
1: Ken, I'm one of the most loving dudes I know. Oh, I yeah I, I met, I met I, you here and I'm thinking I am. I'm, I'm, And I was gonna drive. that's how cr- damaged I was. I was gonna that was my best idea at the time is I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna drive my van into this house, not even knowing if there's anybody in there. But that officer pulled me over. So, th- three days after I came to Christ, two or three days, you were in jail. But that
0: she arrested you. Well, I say
1: jail. two or three days because when you're in that kind of a fog, I can't even <laughs> right. fully remember how. Yeah, gotcha. Sometimes days run right into the next one, right? But th- th- uh, three three days later, I'm in jail. And I got in a fight immediately, and, and I was in the hole, in prison, in prison, like we were uh-huh. talking about. Yeah. I was in the hole, and it was just me and the Bible. It was like, at that time, I knew, even though I didn't, quite, I hadn't quite established myself in Christ, I right. knew that this was on, that God has got me here. Okay, so just give me, the girl in the hotel room, you shout out for Jesus
0: Come into my life. You feel something happening to you. You're 25 years old now. This is happening. How old? What give us a time, a sense of time. Oh, what's going on?
1: No, this is this is right after that. Oh, right after. This that. is three days after I came to Christ. All this right. is three days after I repented. Oh, that's gotcha, what I mean. Gotcha.
0: All right, gotcha. Like, and
1: now I'm in the hole. <laughs> three days after I came to Christ. Got it. Yeah. And it. I'm in the hole with just me and the Bible, and 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 I start reading, and I start getting to know the character of Jesus and just bawling my eyes out because every time I read more about him, I just got more shots of the Holy spirit. Just love, 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 you know, coming from the word of God. So you're saying that
0: now you understand back then you probably would not have had that sense of, the Holy Spirit giving you that. That's kind of you now understanding what was going yeah, on. Yeah, now I understand. But, but something... It was sh-
1: shots. Shots. It was like... You sh- experienced I, it like shots. All I can experience is of more like... Uh, it's like uh, when I f- say... The only way I can describe it, Ken, is I don't know if when you were an, a toddler, if you ever had your mother hold you against... I'm sure her I did. And hug- <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> it's like this love. Okay. Yeah. Just like I could feel it and the hair standing up on the back of my neck and just goosebumps when I'm reading things. And I I call it shots because I felt each time it happened. I felt. Like a shot
0: hitting you and it was a love. There was something good. You knew this time it
1: was good. Yeah, now I know it was the Holy Spirit. Right, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as I read the word of God, he was filling me up. And I read things that like it was funny because you know I'm in that cell, and this is my first time ever reading the Bible, and I, I it was only the it was only the New Testament at that. I had the little teeny tiny okay. brown book, just the uh-huh. New Testament, yeah. and uh, and I would read uh, like I read like things were coming out to me in bold letters, you know, like yeah. let him who once stole labor with his hands and so that he had, you know to give to the poor, and I'm like. It was in bold letters, and I'm like, I had to double check. I is this written? <laughs> is this written in bold letters to me? Because this is, it was like, it was some, yeah, weird thing that it was just the, speaking just to me. Yeah. You Fe- know, Ephesians chapter four. Yeah, yeah, Ephesians chapter four, exactly.
0: Yeah,
1: and 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 here I was a laborer, so I was supposed to be working and laboring with my hands, and this scripture is telling me, let him who once stole who I was, yeah. just out there. Yeah. I mean, Ken, I was stealing. I remember at one point in time, I couldn't even walk or use my hands because I would k- was stealing so much uh-huh. that I had actually crippled my... I had shin splints from kicking in doors. And I don't like to g- talk about that stuff that much right. because yeah. I'm ashamed of it, you know yeah. what I mean? But I like, um, had stolen so much that my hands had cuts and stuff all over them. I was like crippled by whatever... I felt like it was a demon, you know. I felt like I had was possessed yeah. or something, you mm-hmm. know. Well, is it? Would you would
0: let me give you a, what I think, and you tell me if you agree or disagree with this? I think there's a, a time when, when we can, in our own sin, we participate in something, and that there are, I believe there, I believe in demonic spirits, absolutely, spirits, and that they can, seeing what's going on, attach themselves to that behavior. And those emotions and those beliefs and actions that we do, and they can actually begin to influence and eventually probably even take over. You, would you agree with that? can kind
1: of I, 100% yeah. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I remember um, be- beating a guy up, and, and, uh, and I heard something whispering to me, just kill him, just kill him. And I'm not that guy. Right. What I mean is I've never, ever been that kind of... I've never been... But right. Out of all the crimes I have on my record, I don't have any violence on my so, record. So if anyone listening at all and you're connecting
0: with anything that's being said, um, take seriously what's what you're hearing here.
1: Yeah. You're, too, inf- you're
0: so disconnected from reality.
1: You don't even know what, what's happening to you. You don't even know what's happening to you, so you don't even know. Like That's what I mean. Like I was... Um, Something was working with, was, like you said, taking over what maybe I had fallen into. Like, there was a point in time in my addiction where I became actually willing to steal. Right. Because I was never willing to steal before that. At You know, somewhere around 23 years old, I was, I somebody, I think I was 24, actually, where somebody said, here, yeah, come with me. I'll show you how to get money. And I was never a thief before that. Yeah. You know, well, there was a time in my childhood I was, but you know you're as a talking, teenager you're but talking i was about a, a child. totally different level here yeah i was a child yeah, yeah so um or a teenager whatever but um so yeah having that experience and uh um and, and that was when you know I, I after reading the word of god in the whole and i just started to see God yeah. move and i want to talk about heather because heather's a magnificent okay. woman now all right She's, the, the, she's, she's the
0: still she's still friends that with. That room.
1: She was the one that that she brought me to. She was the one to, that shouted at me to yeah. repent. Yeah, <laughs> you need to humble yourself. Thank you, Look Heather. At you. Yeah, I mean, her. My wife loves her to this day. We're still friends with her. Uh-huh. She's uh, awesome. You know, when I was in jail, she uh, did not send me a love letter like, you know, like I love you, I miss you, or anything like that.
0: Best thing for you. That
1: but she, what she, she did. Well, what she did send me Ken was she sent me. Just Ephesians chapter 3 14 through 21. You know, which was Paul's prayer, of faith of the Ephesians. Uh-huh. And she sent me that written out on paper instead of, I mean, she didn't even say, Hi, Bo, <laughs> anything. She said, Read this every day so that you can be strengthened in your faith. She doesn't even remember doing that to this day. She doesn't remember sending me that. And I read it every day. And I came to believe, like, I believe that. God could do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that I ask or think according to the faith that works in me. Right. Yeah. And so I started to practice that. Yeah. And I started to see.
0: Hey everybody, that's the end of part one and part 2 We'll be following watch for it on sustaining purpose with Ken Hale.